WDET is supported by the College of Business Administration at University of Detroit Mercy. UDM's Master of Business Administration is designed to accommodate the career needs of professionals across a variety of work organizations. More information at business.udmercy.edu. Hello, hello, it's the Metro on 1019 WDET. I'm Tia Graham. And I'm Nick Austin. Today on the program, Donald Trump is visiting Oakland County this weekend ahead of the Michigan primaries. But can he turn the county blue? We'll talk to Oakland County Republican Party Chairman Vance Patrick to learn more. But first, on the Metro, when you're walking in downtown Detroit or riding through the neighborhoods, you'll often notice beautifully constructed buildings with history and beautiful deco. But today we are joined by Kimberly Dowdell. Kimberly Dowdell is an award-winning architect with extensive experience in real estate, finance, design, engineering, and construction. She is also the first black woman to be the national president of the American Institute of Architects, and she's also from the city of Detroit. I want to say thank you so much for joining the Metro, Kimberly. Thank you for having me. It's a delight to be here. Thank you. Uh, You're, once again, a Detroit native. Uh, What were some of your early memories of, of loving design and seeing some of the things that were around you? Yeah, well, I mean, growing up in the 80s and 90s, um, a lot of buildings were starting to get shut down or had mm-hmm. been shut down for a while. And so I appreciated sort of the, the beauty of the old buildings, but, you know, felt like something was missing, namely the activation that, you know, once had been experienced earlier in the 80s or the 70s and, and prior. So uh, one specific building that comes to mind is the old Hudson's department store, which closed the year that I was born, but really inspired me to become an architect because at 11, I said, well, you know, someone should do something about this. Someone should reactivate the building. And I had just learned in a middle school art class what architects did. So that was kind of the connection for me. Wow, that's so awesome. So, you know, you are the first black woman to become the uh, national president of the Association of Architects. What has that journey been like? What, What got you there? Yeah, I mean... I like to say that, you know, it's, it's important to sort of raise your hand and, and make suggestions when you think things should be improved. And so that's sort of been a cornerstone of my career, even from the very beginning. And so I ended up uh, making some suggestions for uh, another organization called the National Organization of Minority Architects um, back when I was in college. And so they asked me to join the national board uh, when I was just, uh, just coming out of school. And so I served on the NOMA board um, for a number of years, and then I was actually tapped to become NOMA's president in 2019 and 2020. So I did that because I had even more suggestions. And so they were like, all right, well, you do something about it. And so I served as, as president those two years and um, nearly tripled our membership and, and made a lot of really important improvements um, to help uh, increase diversity within the field of architecture. And because of the relationships that I developed with uh, our colleagues at AIA and also the fact that I'd been a longtime member of AIA, I was tapped again to run for president of AI in 2022. So I was elected later that year and uh, just started my term about 10 weeks ago. So I've got 42 weeks left um, in my one-year term to really, um, again, uh, enable some of the suggestions that that I'd like to um, put out for the the profession of architecture. 
So, Kimberly, when I think about you talking about, you know, being a young 11-year-old, seeing and learning what architecture was and what it could be and what you could do with it, and especially thinking about diversity today being one of very few black women in architecture, especially being a president, what are some things that you would tell or what are some ways that you would help inform young black women or young people of color in general getting into architecture? Yeah, well, one of the things I would say is architecture is one of the um, the most exciting professions to pursue. You literally get to see and create the future. Um, but it is it is a difficult um, profession to pursue as well. And so I think it's important, you know, especially if you're uh, still you know middle school or high school, uh, to take art classes and to build a portfolio uh, because that's going to be necessary to get admitted into architecture school, which is very competitive. Uh, but also be really um, persistent and resilient because architecture school, uh, it's, a, it's a very, um, it's a wonderful education that gives you a blend of art and science and, and sort of all the things that go into making good architects. Um, but it, it is uh, quite a marathon. And so it, it takes generally five, six or seven years to, uh, depending on the type of program that you, that you select to pursue architecture. So just kind of know that and be mentally prepared to, to take all that on and surround yourself with mentors. And so that's one of the reasons why you know, I highly recommend getting involved with NOMA and AIA as a, as a source for uh, community and support. Um, so I think that's one of the, the keys for, for my success was just having really great mentors and, um, and looking for, for the resources that these organizations provide to help me kind of navigate because it takes on average about uh, 12, 13 years uh, to become a licensed architect. So it's, it's really a commitment. It's like a long-term commitment. So I um, so I just want people to know that going in and be prepared for that. And then one of the things that, um, you know, I'm looking to do this year while I'm AI president is helping to raise the public profile of the architect. Um, and so, so that way pe- more people know about what we do and specifically so we can help, um, you know, bring more young people into, um, into the profession. And so one specific initiative I have is the, what I'm calling the Chief Architect Initiative to really encourage mayors all around the country to hire a chief architect to help them solve some of the issues that we see in our cities, like the lack of affordable housing, uh, climate change, uh, you know, blight and abandonment. Those are you know, just a, a sampling of things that a chief architect could help advise our mayors on. Kimberly, I love the the notes that you just uh, put out there for us. I think about the city of Detroit, and I'm seeing so many different things that are growing and expanding in the city of Detroit. New buildings, we're seeing some buildings being refurbished, even the Metro Central, uh, Michigan Central, which is one of the, the larger uh, refurbishments we've seen in the city of Detroit for a while, in a while. Um, can you give us a little background about what you're seeing in the city of Detroit and your opinion of the growth that you're seeing uh, through uh, architecture and design? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I love Detroit. I grew up here. Um, I did uh, live elsewhere for about 14 years, and I, I came back home ultimately. And to see the city, um, you know, kind of uh, have this resurgence has been resurgence has been really wonderful. In fact, I did my uh, my thesis project on uh, Detroit and what the future could look like if reinvestment came back in 2006. So to see that kind of start to take place over the next few years and certainly a decade after that um, has been really, really great. Um, in fact, I had an opportunity to visit uh, Michigan Central just a couple of days ago. And it was, I mean, it was just so powerful to see, uh, you know, this, this project come back to life, to see, um, you know, the fact that it's, it's reactivated. I mean, it will be fully open um, at, you know, at some point in the near future. But um, just to see the work that's happening, it's, it's really uh, quite wonderful. In fact, 
I wish that um, you know we could have seen something like that happen for Hudson's, which you know as we all know was was demolished um, in the 90s. Um, and so just to have those those buildings that you really can't recreate, um, you know, today's technology and it's just pro it's prohibitively expensive. And also like the craftspeople that made those buildings, it just I mean that craft has been lost. And so to be able to preserve those older buildings, I think is really wonderful. And also, I mean, the most sustainable building is the one that already exists. And so I love the idea of, of really investing in our existing building stack. And of course, we're, you know, we're going to need new buildings from, from time to time, but also just kind of weaving the, the old and the new together is, is important. I'm glad that Detroit is um, a bit more focused on that preservation piece, which holds a lot of um, memory and holds a lot of the culture of the city. So I'm excited about adaptive reuse, which is one of my favorite project types, but also um, you know things that even aren't necessarily seen as architecture, but definitely weave into the built environment, and that's the, the waterfront. And so um, to see all the improvements that have made that have been made downtown along um, the Detroit River has been really special too. Kimberly Dowdell is the national president of the American Institute of Architects. I want to say thank you so much for joining the Metro. Would love to talk to you in the future to get more ideas from you about what's going on in architecture. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. You're listening to The Metro, your source for daily news, arts, and culture, bringing you the latest in Metro Detroit through stories and conversations. Coming up next, we'll talk with an Oakland County Republican about Donald Trump's rally in Waterford this weekend. WDET is supported by the College of Business Administration at the University of Detroit Mercy. UDM is offering a new Master of Science degree in ethical leadership focused on sustainable, ethical, and inclusive problem solving. Admission is open to qualified applicants with a bachelor's degree in any field. Course selection is flexible with no prerequisites, four required courses, and six electives. Learn more at business.udmercy.edu. Welcome back to the Metro on 101.9 WDET. And, you know, Nick, a former president is making his way to the area. That is right. And a lot of people were maybe expecting a little bit more competition in the primary for Donald Trump. Uh, but if you were expecting that, you might be a bit disappointed because former President Trump has won every state he's competed in in the run up to the general election, just sweeping it out. It looks like he's going right into the nomination for this fall. But tomorrow, he's headed to Waterford first for a get-out-the-vote rally ahead of Michigan's February 27th primary election. So, to talk more about the event and why Donald Trump has remained so popular with Republicans, we have Vance Patrick with us, the chairman of the Oakland County Republican Party. Vance, welcome to the Metro. Good afternoon, guys. How are you doing today? Doing well. And, you know, I think about how much uh, you're the presumptive nominee Trump has been sweeping in his run around the country right now, yet he's still stopping here in Michigan ahead of a primary for it seems like he's going to get the nomination. So what are Donald Trump's goals in visiting Waters Waterford Township this Saturday? 
Well, you know, I, I heard you mention that Oakland County is blue, and it's not as blue as you think. We're probably only blue by about 10,000 votes. So we're, there's a great opportunity for him to be here and to sway the vote uh, in Michigan this time around. So coming out to Waterford, it's going to be a great venue. Um, he's done um, he's done a rally at this location in the past. So we're looking to just uh, reboot uh, the, 2020, the uh, 2016 election. Yeah, so before we get into the strategy of turning Oakland County blue, what's going to be happening at the event? Tell me a little bit more about it. What should attendees expect? Um, I, it's going to be at an airplane hangar, so uh, he's going to land, and he's going to be motorcaded over to the hangar. Um, it's going to be out. It's going to be inside, outside. In other words, it's it's inside, but there's going to be and the hangar doors are going to be wide open. So, if people are planning on coming out, I would say dress warm. And um, I'm not sure who the if he's got anybody else speaking. Pete Hoekstra, who I heard you mention, is uh, he will be up on stage for a moment. Uh, but again, just rally our base and uh, get uh, Donald Trump over the finish line in November. All right. And speaking of your plan to get him over the finish line, you talk about saying maybe you can turn Oakland County uh, back red. But again, for almost two decades now, Oakland County is consistently in presidential uh, uh, elections gone blue. Uh, and in looking at the numbers, you're in Waterford Township, but Trump won Waterford Township by eight points. So why have an event there when you think there's fertile ground in other areas of Oakland County to try to flip the county? Well, obviously, location, location, location. You can fly right in and then have the event and then fly right out. It's easiest for Secret Service. Um, it's it's a And it's a familiar venue that they've been to. So that's the reason. But again, these rallies draw people from all over the state. I know people are coming from Monroe to come to this, Jackson, Genesee County. So it's um, every time he comes in town, he's drawing people from all over the state. Just like when Oakland County Republican Party had our event back here in June with Donald Trump at the Novi Suburban Showplace, we had 3,000 people for dinner. We had uh, probably... 30 people from Canada that wanted to come over and see this guy because he, over in Canada, they even love him. Yeah. Well, we're talking about Oakland County here, and that's a place that you yep. know well. So if we're going to try to flip this, uh, it, what's the plan? Are you going to try to turn out more of the hard right, maybe what some would call colloquially the MAGA Republicans? Are you trying to go broader? And if so, what's the message to get these folks to say, nope, we're going to go back to the red side this time? Well, just to make sure that disenfranchised, uh, some people just have been sitting out and they said, well, my vote doesn't count. And actually, that's not true. Every vote counts. We just had an uh, election in Troy City Council, Mark Gunn. He just got over with just a few votes, a handful of votes. So literally every vote counts. So people think that, oh, the election was stolen or whatever. It, it doesn't matter. You need to get out and vote. Every vote truly does count. Yeah, well, I mean... The candidate at the top of the ticket seems to disagree with you on that one there. But I, I appreciate this message because what I'm hearing from you is it's more about just getting folks out to the ballot. And it's not about changing your message. So do you think the current message that Donald Trump is running on is one that will win with Oakland County voters and turn it red? Well, the secure the secure the southern border is a huge issue. It seems like everybody wants to talk about that. I'm in the construction business, and I'll tell you what, every single job site that I'm on, people are supporting Trump. They, they don't like where the economy is. The uh, inflation or the, uh, what the uh, jobs report just came out with the other day, inflation is up 3%, I believe is what it was. And it's, it's, I think people just realize that we were better off 
four years ago when Donald Trump was in office. Mm. We're speaking again with Vance Patrick, Oakland County Republican Party chair. Before I let you go, I do want to touch back on Pete Hoekstra, who you mentioned is going yeah. to also be at the event. Uh, the Republican National Committee voted to recognize him as the Michigan GOP chair, noting that former chair Christina Caramo still does not recognize this decision. Uh, at least here, she says she's still in the seat. What is Pete Hoekstra's strategy, though, to attract more voters to the party? Well, it's 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 a pretty much about just engaging our volunteers, getting boots on the ground. See, state party should have had a hundred uh, staffers, paid staffers, out working uh, the cities, the townships, and unfortunately, the Karamo administration has no staffers working. Where it's left the county parties um, strapped to have to hire staffers or double down on their own volunteers to make them double the work. Mm. So. What Pete's going to do is start fundraising. That's where Christina Caramo missed the mark. She did not go into this with a fundraising plan. Pete's got a party at the Suburban Showplace on Sunday next week, and Vivek Ramaswamy is going to be there. Um, We've got Tom Barrett, our congressional candidate, for out there, and then Senator Jim Runstead will be speaking at this event. So, again, Pete kicked his campaign, kicked his his short um, career as our State chair with two fundraisers again one in uh, Novi on Sunday next week and then another one in Grand Rapids and the one in Grand Rapids is going to have Tim Scott so again you you've got to realize that it takes money to run the party because you've got to buy literature you've got to support your candidates commercials cost money and there's a delicate balance between um, grassroots volunteers but the grassroots volunteers need literature to hand yeah. out so Fundraising and grassroots volunteers are what it's going to take to win Michigan over again. All right. Sounds like that's the strategy, Vance. I do want to note, it looks like we looked up, from what I'm seeing, 2020, 50,000 votes uh, was the difference for Democrats, at least in that election, from what I'm seeing here. Uh, But we do want to have you back on the show, Vance Patrick, Oakland County Republican Party chair. Got to check back in and see how that strategy is working moving forward, okay? I appreciate it. Call anytime, guys. Have a good day. This is the Metro on 101.9 WDET. I'm Nick Austin. And I am Tia Graham, who should have turned her mic on, but she didn't. But that's okay. Like you said, this is the Metro. (laughs) And one thing the pandemic surely did was empty out office buildings across the country, showing that remote work can be productive, but also that large office spaces can be used for other needs. A recent study from the real estate firm Cushman and Wakefield found that about one-fifth of U.S. office spaces are now vacant. Now, some companies are even questioning the advantages of having an office building. NPR's Sasha Pfeiffer spoke with David Smith, one of the authors of the study. Really four factors over the last few years that have impacted office occupancy. So one is we've had a lot of economic uncertainty going back to 2020 and early 2021. And then again, certainly over the last year, as interest rates have risen. The second reason, as you noted, is that we've seen increased amounts of remote work and hybrid work, and that's shifting how occupiers are thinking about their footprints. Uh, Third is we've seen a lot of new construction come online. Those spaces do get leased up, but people move out of other spaces that end up being vacant. And then the fourth thing I would say is that there has been an increase in sublease space, especially over the last a couple of years um, as occupiers have looked to shed some of their footprints. 
um, we've seen them putting space available in the sublease. So that pushes up the vacancy rate as well. You know, in terms of the problem of having all this empty office space, one is that cities and towns that rely on commercial tax revenue suddenly are getting less revenue, also less traffic for local restaurants. Any other consequences or concerns of all this empty space? No. I mean, I think you mentioned that there are some challenges when there's more empty space. You know, we are, you know, optimistic that those vacancy rates are about to peak and we'll start to see them come down and you'll start to see some of those things reverse where you will have more larger tech space and you will have more people on the streets. But why would it reverse? Because there seems to be little sign that the work from home trend is changing. And I recently read an opinion piece in The New York Times headlined, Commercial Real Estate is in Trouble. It makes the argument that vacancy rates may get worse as leases expire and many companies choose not to renew them. So why are you optimistic? Two reasons. One is we expect to see job growth accelerate uh, when we head into 2025 uh, and beyond and that office-using industries in particular will take up a disproportionate share of new jobs that are created. And two, we're tracking um, several hundred different companies and their policies around in-office work. And all of them, if they've changed their policies over the last couple of years, are actually moving towards having people in more. So we're probably past a lot of the cutting of footprints, um, even as occupiers kind of figure out how they move forward with their employees. You know, I hear a lot of people concerned about all this empty space, but you seem fairly nonchalant about it. And I'm I'm trying to decide if you're right or if because you work for a real estate firm, you have to be sound optimistic. I'm not nonchalant. I wouldn't say that. I think there are real challenges for individual buildings um, and investors need to be cautious. I think uh, the long-term trajectory is that office is a central part of the economy. Um, And I think 15 years ago, we were over-retailed as an economy. And if you look at the metrics for high-quality malls, high street, even grocery-anchored retail centers, those are doing really, really well. And I think this is an opportunity for the office market as well to redevelop itself. And actually, in 10 or 15 years, we'll look back and the office uh, market will have uh, revolutionized itself in a really exciting way. That was NPR's Sasha Pfeiffer speaking with realtor David Smith on the future of office spaces. This is The Metro. Coming up with the primary election approaching, we're going to hear a WDET report on what Michigan clerks are doing to keep our elections safe. Before we do that, though, the weather as today it will be mostly cloudy with a high near 34 degrees into Friday night. There's a chance of snow showers before 1 a.m. Tomorrow, it will be mostly cloudy with a high of 30 degrees. But as I mentioned, election safety is top of mind with so many of us. And over the last few years, there's been more concern about it. And while research has proven that our elections have been safe, clerks across the state are still working to ensure Michigan's elections are secure. WDET's Pat Batchelor spoke with a number of clerks to understand what they are doing to protect the ballot. At the Oakland County Clerk's Office in Pontiac, Lisa Brown and her staff are testing the electronic tabulators that voters will use at 18 regional early voting places. They insert test ballots one at a time into each machine. The tabulators count the ballots, which have been marked to produce a predetermined result. Brown says the goal of that is to make sure what comes out of the machines matches what goes in. 
For example, there is a ballot that will be overvoted. There is a ballot that has stray marks to make sure that that's not picking up as a vote. With the overvoted ballot, making sure that it's picking it up as an overvote. All these different things that we are testing to make sure that the tabulators are reading the ballots correctly and then also tabulating the results correctly. Brown says if a tabulator isn't working properly, it won't be used in the election. Neither will the test ballots, which will be sealed and eventually discarded. This is one of the checks and balances Brown uses to ensure that Oakland County elections are accurate, fair, and secure. She says the tabulators are not connected to the Internet, so hackers can't tamper with them, and the machines themselves won't reveal the results until after the polls close on Election Day. Every night, the uh, machines go into suspend mode, um, and then they're brought back up. um, And after Sunday's voting, it goes into suspend mode, and they can't be uh, powered up again um, until Tuesday evening. Brown says she wants voters to have confidence in elections and voting equipment. That's why she opens these tabulator tests to the public so people can see how they work. Kathleen O'Loughlin of Troy came to witness the process with a skeptical eye. I am just concerned that the elections are not fair and secure. That's all I'm, I'm saying. O'Loughlin describes herself as a constitutional conservative, not affiliated with any party. She would not say if she thought the 2020 presidential election was stolen, but she says election officials shouldn't dismiss questions about fraud, no matter how rare it actually is. I think that with you have 100 people in a, in a precinct or in a, in a community signing an affidavit saying there's something wrong, then I think it, should, it needs to be investigated. In fact, multiple investigations since 2020 have found no evidence of systemic election fraud. Anthony Forlini is the Macomb County clerk. Shortly after he was elected, he conducted a forensic audit of the county's election server to make sure no one hacked it and tampered with the data. We went through a pretty rigorous uh, process to look at that, to look at the modeming, to look at uh, the the, the, uh, server, and uh, we found that there was no outside interference with any of our equipment. Forlini leaves tabulator testing up to local clerks, but makes sure voters know when and where that's happening. He says Macomb County does test its systems through a process called hash validation. Which basically says, all right, we're testing it before and we're testing it after. Did anybody get into the computer and change any of the programming? We would know that through the hash validations. To my understanding, we're one of the few, if not only, counties doing that. Forlini says he welcomes questions from election doubters, but says discrepancies are usually the result of human error rather than fraud. Humans are going to make mistakes. We try to minimize that through education and transparency. Humans have already made mistakes going into this month's primary elections. 17 voters in Auburn Hills recently got the wrong absentee ballots for president in the mail. City clerk Laura Pierce tells the Oakland Press they were placed in the wrong envelopes. She contacted all the affected voters and will flag the incorrect ballots so they don't get counted. Auburn Hills is one of the few cities that did not ask Oakland County Clerk Lisa Brown to test its early voting equipment. Brown says... That's okay. I view democracy as a team sport, and we're all on the same team to make sure that our elections are accurate, secure, and fair, and that every eligible uh, voter has access to the ballot. So whatever I can do to support our local clerks and ensure that our elections are run well in Oakland County, I'm going to do. And that includes answering questions of skeptical voters like Kathleen O'Loughlin, who came away from the tabulator testing in Lisa Brown's office with more confidence in the people overseeing the process. I think that they are very uh, conscientious people, and they do want to do the job, what they're supposed to be doing. So yes, I am very satisfied with what they're doing. 
but others might not be. Since the 2020 election, clerks, canvassers, and even secretaries of state have faced threats and intimidation from people who refuse to accept the results. This week, a new state law took effect, making it a crime to intimidate or threaten election workers. First-time violators face up to three months in jail and a $500 fine. Partisan challengers are allowed at early voting locations, but Oakland County Clerk Lisa Brown says they need to know the law. They shouldn't be speaking directly to the voter. They should be talking to the election workers. If they're challenging a voter, they need to have a good faith belief to believe that uh, that that voter doesn't have the right to be voting there. If it's like your neighbor that moved five years ago or something like that. Macomb County Clerk Anthony Forlini says everyone should respect the process and each other. Being respectful is probably the biggest thing. Uh, understanding people's spaces understanding uh, the rules that they they can abide by and need to abide by are just as important for the workers to allow the challengers the respect that they deserve when they come in to to question something that's going on. Forlini and Lisa Brown want voters to find out where early voting is happening before they go because it may be in a different location than their regular precinct. They also remind voters in the presidential primaries that they must choose either a Republican ballot or a Democratic one. That was WDET's Pat Batchelor reporting on the ways clerks are working to keep our elections safe. You're listening to The Metro, your source for daily news, arts and culture, bringing you the latest in Metro Detroit through stories and conversations. Coming up, the Car Center celebrates black art in all forms all year round. But during Black History Month, there's been an increased effort. Stay tuned for The Metro. This is The Metro, our new show connecting Metro Detroiters through stories and conversations about the news, art, and culture affecting the city and our region. I'm Nick Austin. And I am Tia Graham. And the Car Center is in the Park Shelton and it hosts a wide array of activities and events. And this month, the Car Center is focusing on Enhanced Black History Month programming in partnership with Bedrock. 101, excuse me, 1001 Woodward Avenue is home to most of the Black History Month programming and it's free to the public. Oliver Ragsdale Jr. is the president of the Car Center, and he spoke with me about this weekend's events. But first, Ragsdale Jr. talked about seeing young kids making a comeback after the pandemic held them back. I think the the significant thing that we saw, our numbers were significantly higher before covid and then they plummeted during COVID and right after. Most of it tied to lack of opportunities and lack of exposure um, during that period of 2021 and and, into, and then starting to slowly come back in 22. Uh, we saw a jump from 50 to about 70 in 23 and well over 100 auditioning um, this year for it. And they were at a higher caliber than they were the last two years. So I think that a piece of it is kids have gotten older and matured or they have gotten in line with instruction 
the list they started two years ago, and they've grown with that versus the gap that we saw a year ago and for sure two years ago. It is a trend that is happening. It's a good trend to see the kids are, are starting to get back to whatever a normal could look like for them. And, and frankly, you know, it's a new normal. Mm-hmm. Um, so many things so many things changed during that period of time. The arts are still the arts, but the arts are different now than they were pre-pandemic. And, and it's important for us to, to recognize that, you know, the digital age has really had a significant impact on all of this. The personal, in, in-person educational process is finally getting back in gear and young people are having the opportunity to make up a year or two because physically they continue to grow. But the, matru- the maturity of, of their activities didn't grow at the same pace that they did physically. We got to get into the events. You have Car Center Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, Black History Month is still happening. So what, do, what can we, we expect? We are still celebrating. And and what I what I'd like to start talking about is that we are highlighting Black arts. We're celebrating and highlighting Black arts during February because the Car Center celebrates and does Black arts um, every day of the year. The Detroit Black Film Festival will be presenting their films um, in that space, and it begins at four o'clock and runs from four until eight. On Saturday, last Saturday was the bomb. Last Saturday was just just absolutely incredible. We have four dancers uh, in who are doing um, social dancing and teaching uh, ballroom, stepping, uh, various various uh, types of dance, and that runs from 12 until 4 um, on Saturday. And at the same time, while that is going on, we're still encouraging people to come and check out and make a patch for our community quilt, sewing our community together. We had a phenomenal response last week. And one of the things that we noticed is that people are coming and they're staying for a while and they're really thinking about the content and the message that they want their particular patch to happen. We're gonna continue to make patches, invite people to make patches through the end of the month. Uh, And then um, as we've talked about before, we will be then displaying the quilt probably later this spring, uh, someplace in a, in a bedrock uh, location. And bedrock has been this incredible opener throughout. And then on Sunday, Melba Joyce Boyd, uh, the Kresge eminent artist, has put together an incredible program of poetry. We're calling it The Word. And Nandi Comer, the poet laureate of Michigan, is going to be on it. Uh, Samaj Brown, the Poet Laureate in Flint, will be on it. Uh, Bill Harris, another Kresge eminent artist. Jessica Caramore. Leslie Reese uh, is coming in from Chicago for it. And, you know, Leslie is a, is a Detroiter. Her sister, Tracy Reese, um, has the, the, fashion, the fashion house in Midtown. Uh, Hilda Vest, the uh, former owner of Broadside Press, is on it. Esperanza uh, Centron and Sonia Pouncey, as well as three young poets, Joel Green, LaShawn Catan, and Jasmine Parks. And we're going to have a special appearance by Robert Hayden, Dudley Randall, and David uh, Blair, and a special performance 
by uh, Marion Hayden Trio featuring Shahira Nurala and Melba Joyce Boyd. So it's a full lineup of really exciting programs. Oliver Ragsdale Jr. is the president of the Car Center. He spoke with me about the upcoming event. And for more information, head to thecarcenter.org. However, Nick, there's things happening in and around the city of Detroit this weekend. So I've heard. And one of those things, (laughs) Tia, is the Detroit Roller Derby's home team season finale and alumni showcase is happening Saturday at the Masonic Temple. Doors open at 5 p.m. And skating starts at 6 p.m. Give you an hour to get your skates on. Are you a skater? Uh, Yeah. Me too. Come on. Roll bounce. Let's go. All right. We're going. We're doing this. It's happening. Another thing that's happening in the city of Detroit, Detroit City Bookstore is hosting its eighth annual African-American Family Book Expo and Read. This year, the event is a national African-American read-in hosted event. And from 1230 to 5 p.m. at the historic People Community Church, community members have a chance to meet and support local independent authors. The event's goal is to preserve books written by black authors in Metro Detroit and beyond. You all hope to have a good time there. That's uh, tomorrow. Historic People Community Church from 1230 to 5. You're listening to the Metro, your source for daily news, arts and culture, bringing you the latest in Metro Detroit through stories and conversations coming up. What types of treasures can you find at your local library? From snowshoes to sewing machines, we'll learn more when we continue on the Metro. Welcome back to the Metro on 1019 WDETFM. I am Tia Graham. And I'm here with Nick Austin. And Nick, we're going to be talking about something really, really cool right now. Yeah, libraries across Michigan, I've learned, are no longer just about books, magazines, and movies. Really? In fact, this week I learned, courtesy and shouts out to Detroit Free Press reporter Jennifer Dixon, that library patrons can check out a host of items at libraries across the region, ranging from snowshoes and a karaoke machine at the Clinton McComb Public Library to a sewing machine at the Ferndale Area District Library. But what other items can we find at these, now that I understand, magical places? And what will it take for me to start my own personal karaoke night? To learn more, we're joined by two folks from the local libraries behind these treasure troves. First up, we have Jamie Morris, Head of Communications and Strategy for the Clinton Macomb Public Library. Jamie, welcome to the Metro. Thank you. Happy to be here. And we're also joined by Jeff Milo, Marketing Coordinator for the Ferndale Area District Library, but also the host of one of WDET's new music shows, My Local, focusing on the best Michigan-made music, heard Thursdays at 8 p.m. and Saturdays at 10 p.m. Jeff, welcome to the Metro. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, Hello. I'm here. Hello. Hello. Happy to have both of you here. I just want to start out here, and we'll start with you, Jamie, because I haven't been to the library in a long time, 
And I saw this article and I said, well, maybe that's been an error on my part. These things, libraries, they seem to have changed a lot since what I remember of them. How have these libraries changed over the time? What are you guys doing now out there? Absolutely. If you haven't checked out your local library in a while, now's the time to do it. We have so many great things. So you mentioned we have magazines, we have movies. And so I think these collections that we call um, libraries of things, things to go, we call it at our library. There's just such a great opportunity to add more in, uh, you know, items such as those things. So outside of movies, uh, we really branched out into what we call a, an offshoot of our things to go is called tech to go. So we've got Wi-Fi hotspots. We've got gaming systems, the karaoke machine, as you mentioned. So I think it's just a really great opportunity for people to check out their local library. We are not the library you probably grew up with. We're not as quiet as we used to be. <laughs> Jeff and I were just talking about that. Uh, we're definitely not shushing you in the corner. Come check it out. We've got a lot of great discussion happening and a lot of things to check out. Yeah, the skill set that gets you on air on the radio is not the same one that makes you a friend of the library getting kicked out all the time. Apparently, I'm too loud to you. <laughs> you know, so I'm glad things happens. have changed a little bit there. But Jeff, looping you into the conversation then, she was talking about the library of things. Uh, what types of things can you get at the Ferndale Library, for example, and events. Did that play a role here also? What, what's going on? Well, exactly. She just mentioned that libraries aren't as quiet as we once thought they were. I, we're literally having a concert on Sunday. So <laughs> we are as well. The, the, well, there we go. Counter-programming. Wow. <laughs> How about that? Yeah, I mean, we have a full-on PA. We're, we're plugging rock bands in. But you mentioned the sewing machine. We also have a Volca Beats mixer. We have a studio mixer. You could come and we do have a karaoke mic if you want to throw your own karaoke party. Okay. We have a keyboard synthesizer. We have bongos. We have, oh my gosh, so many things. Uh, all the tools you could possibly think of. If you're hanging something at home and you need that stud finder and you don't want to just buy it for that one time use, you can check it out. Yeah. You want to hang some pictures? Yeah. Yeah. But you know what? This makes me think, where, where are you guys getting all of this stuff, wonderful stuff from, question. right? Is like, donated? Are you being sponsored? If I have a stud maker at home, they're like, I don't need this thing anymore. Like, I just drop it off to you? Yeah. Or how is this happening? Uh, we actually have a budget for it. So we've got librarians who curate this collection. And what we do is we look for those sort of uh, big ticket items. So things you might not want to spend a lot of money on. So tools you might not only need once. So I think it's really helping for a greener society by not having that throwaway culture. But I also think it's one of those things that's like, ooh, I don't have, you know, 300 bucks laying around to get that specialty tool that I need, like tile cutters. So I'm just going to get it from the library. We've got tile cutters. Yeah, <laughs> I'm seeing that you all have everything right now or a lot of things that people would need in their everyday lives that you just don't want to go buy. But I'm thinking about the library, especially the Ferndale Public Library, and I'm thinking about it as a communal space and that third space. We often talk about losing those spaces and communities. Talk about Ferndale Public Library being that third space and, and offering so many cool things now. Yeah, it's literally just a place to be. Yeah. And it's a place that doesn't require you to buy a cup of coffee just to be there. You could be there for all eight hours and free Wi-Fi all day long. Rent out a quiet room if you need it yeah. or if you need to have a meeting or if you just want to relax by the fireplace. You literally just walk in off the street. We're here for you. Or walk in and happen upon, what, a concert? I know. Who knew? Well, let's get into finding out more about what's available, because I would have never thought to even look up if you have a karaoke machine, which side note, I had to DJ a karaoke party uh, recently, and I bought all of this software and I had to figure stuff out, had the mic. I had no clue what I was doing. Then to find this article that says I could have just came and you know borrowed your stuff. 
It's like, well, that would how did you feel? How more, did you feel? Felt a little silly. Oh. That's why I wanted to make sure no one made the same mistake I did. So, yes. Jamie, looping you back in, if we want to find out, what would you recommend to people who want to look to their local libraries to see what types of things they have? Absolutely. So, uh, libraries now have websites. The catalogs are all online. You can absolutely look up those things. The Clinton Macomb Public Library, in particular, has a particular page. It's called Things to Go, where you can look up all the different things in our catalog. And if you are a little technophobic, come in, ask a librarian they're more than happy to help you and point you to the right direction you know i find it so fascinating too just like nick was saying like i hadn't gone he hadn't gone to the library in such a long time so he didn't know what to expect i grew up going to the library when i was a kid detroit public uh, uh, library system i would go all the time and you know i kind of lost my way a little bit but wanting to get back into it and just hearing that just like jeff was saying you have these thirds you can just go there and and be at peace in a space so uh, one more time if we can just hit on it again just like nick was just talking about just the things that you all offer but just getting that outreach and that message out to people that you all are there for these things. Yeah, and we we didn't even cover so many of the other things. Yeah. That also includes board games, puzzles, seeds for your garden if you want to check them out. Our uh, seed library is coming back pretty soon, March. Yeah. There's a seed library? Seeds. That sounds like you're giving me profit, right? Like I would take the seed and yep. I can generate something that I could sell on the market. I don't cut you in on <laughs> any of Nick. it. Farmer Nick. Farmer Nick. This seems amazing to me, but let's let's think about this then. Uh, if we could expand libraries, uh, or l- let me put it more like this. Uh, libraries offer so much from what I'm hearing from you, but yet I admit I hadn't been there. What do you think it's going to take for us to get more people to understand this? Or what do we need to do to get more people involved in libraries, Jamie? I think this is a great start. Thank you for having us on today. I think this is a wonderful opportunity. I also think don't sleep on social media. Uh, Jeff and I were talking before the interview. We all have social media at our library, and we often highlight some of these things Mm. to go or items of things that you wouldn't necessarily think about. So absolutely check us out there. And um, if you've got small children, story time is a staple at all libraries. Absolutely bring your small children into the library for some good story time activities. Mm -hmm. And perhaps I could make an analogy that your library is like public radio, a community resource. Folks can just turn the dial on, right? And they will get WDET. All you have to do is just walk in the door and you're using the resource. Very profound. I was going to say, what do I even say? (laughs) You don't. That's why Jeff Milo (laughs) is one of our newest uh, radio hosts here with My Local. Didn't know he had all of this talent, so I'm pretty excited about that. Again, as we're speaking with Jamie Morris with the Clinton Macomb Public Library, as well as Jeff Milo with the Ferndale Area District Library. So for folks who aren't as familiar or want to uh, get better at using the library, are there any tips that you guys have? We've touched on a tuple a couple, but to get your best experience out of using the library. We'll start with you, Jeff. Well, I would say come in and talk to the staff. Yeah. First of all, when you get that library card, you can check with that circulation department right at that front desk, and they're going to tell you the nine trillion things you can get with a library card because we didn't even get into ebooks and audiobooks and all this yeah, other yeah. stuff. But the other thing is if a lot of people come to the library because they feel like they just want to read more. That's usually the number one answer. And if you go over to the librarian's desk... They love giving reading recommendations, and they will point you in the direction of your next favorite book. Mm. And then, and then there's this feeling of like, oh, I've connected with, I've connected with someone in my community. They showed mm. me a great book. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Come into the library, see the librarians. At the Clinton Macomb Public Library, like I said, even if you're a little bit shy, we actually have an opportunity for people to register for a library card online, and then they get access to, like Jeff said, all the digital materials. So digital downloads, databases, all of those great things if you don't have time to step into the library. Also, we're open seven days a week. So if you're working, stop in on a Saturday, on a Sunday. Stop in at night. We're usually open until, you know, eight, nine o'clock. We're open until nine at the Clinton Macomb Public library, but later hours as well. Jeff, yeah, go ahead. I should also say that if you are, these libraries are often connected in cooperatives. So if you have a Royal Oak library card or an Oak Park library card, walk right into our building in Ferndale, check stuff out. Don't say that. A co-op card situation? That's right. Oh, my Lanta. (laughs) (laughs) Well, very good. You know, I do appreciate learning all of this, learning all of the stuff that I can get now for free because cheap guy <laughs> so, it's a public service as well so it's just like it's for us that is yeah, true it's you for know us. it is one of the things we have to say community outreach civic participation tax dollars at work the ability for us to be more of a community and sharing these things i want to tell you i appreciate what you guys are doing jamie morris with the clinton macomb public library and jeff milo of not only the ferndale area district library but also my local michigan made music Amazing every show. thursday at 8 p.m saturdays at 10 thanks for joining us on the metro thank you thank you this is the metro on 1019 wdet where i'm nick austin along with Tia Graham. And, uh, you know, we got to get in the groove. We got to get in the groove, Nick. Yeah. Yeah, it is that time. Who's going to take us into the groove? It's supposed to be Ryan Patrick It's supposed to be. It's me. It's always going to be me. (laughs) You know, I'm I'm starting to say, I can hear the lack of excitement when I come on here now, guys. (laughs) I was talking library and I was having a really good time. Riveting. Honestly, really good conversation. In the groove is like a music library we curate these selections for you we love bringing them together we're huge fans of jeff milo we stand jeff milo listen to my local uh fantastic new show um today on the show though we're going to do a lot of different things we're going to talk about arab representation in electronic music there's a great party called laylit at spotlight tomorrow night tammy lackis our own here in the city will be there so of course we're gonna have some great music and our conversation with rula david from spotlight We're going to preview that big shadow show show that's happening at UFO Factory tonight and tomorrow. One of our great local bands just released their new record today, Fantasy Now. It's all here in the groove with me, Ryan Patrick Hooper. Looking forward to that in the groove at noon. And that's going to do it for the Metro, February 16th edition. You can listen to recent episodes online at WDET.org and make sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform. The show was produced by Sam Corey, David Lyons, and Jack Philbrandt. Our technical director is Nate Bender, and our music is done by Sam Bobian. Our news director is Jerome Vaughn, and our program director is Adam Fox. The Metro is a WDET production, a listener-supported service of Wayne State University. If you like what you hear and want to support the Metro, consider becoming a member at WDET.org slash donate. Nick, really quickly, have a great weekend. Uh, you have a great weekend as well, <laughs> Tia, because I wasn't going to do it until you wished me that one. So you gave me that reminder <laughs> to have fun this weekend. You're listening to 1019 WDET-FM, Detroit Public Radio, your connection to news, music, and conversation.
WDET is supported by the College of Business Administration at University of Detroit Mercy. UDM is offering a new master's degree in ethical leadership focused on sustainable, ethical, and inclusive problem solving. More information at business.udmercy.edu.